I'm not looking to be rich and, you know, drive fancy cars, but I'm more focused on what does wealth mean to me? And for me, it's the ability to say yes when I want, say no when I need to, and hang out with people that I enjoy and, and continue to trust. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Hi, great to wealth listeners. If you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax-deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482. Or you may visit his website at 1031.bangertofinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where in the world you are. And you know what? Uh, today I thought, you know, my passion for traveling, my passion for freedom, my passion, my hidden desire, don't tell that to my wife, she's going to kill me, that I announced to the whole world of being a nomad. I hate staying in one place. And uh, as it happens, we got very lucky to find a guest who's actually um, being a true nomadic lifestyle. This is what she does for a living. She hops from places to places. And she does her real estate investing from wherever she is. And she's been a coach. She's a mentor. She has retreats. And we'll talk all of that stuff. Her name is Sarah Weaver. Sarah, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. So does your wife listen to your podcast? Because I think she's going to know. I don't. She doesn't tell me she listens. She's given me a feed, a review. So I think she's listened to at least one or two, maybe. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> okay, one of those things, like, whenever I'm speaking on the podcast, she is hearing it anyways from me because yeah. I can't stop talking about my guests. So she's like, I don't want to spend another 30 minutes, 40 minutes on listening to one more podcast. But she knows my <laughs> desire. I've been telling her, I'm like, we've been in one place for more than a year. It's time to move. Love so it, Sarah, before it. we go into the details of what you do, tell us a little bit about your story about what is the word, I will start with when you heard the term migrate to wealth, which is the name of our show. What does that mean to you? Yeah. Oh, what a great question because wealth is something that I've been thinking a lot about as I really look at my long-term goals, which I think is something that you should be doing at every stage of your investing. So for people that don't know me, I own 19 units in four different states. And I think what makes my investing unique is that I am making a lot of cash flow because half of my portfolio is furnished. I'm crazy enough to self-manage all 19 units wow. and I'm fully nomadic. And so that gives your listeners some background. So even though I feel like I have, I've hit my financial independence number, you know, I can coast if I want to, um, but I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I just keep making up new businesses right. and, and solving problems for investors. And so when I think about migrate to wealth, I'm thinking about really the, the transition that I've made 
from a scarcity mindset around money to migrating myself to an abundance mindset around money because I'm not looking to be rich and you know drive fancy cars, even though I would someday really like a 1996 Defender. Oh, and nice. I, I know, and I look so cool in one of those. Oh, and so there are things that I want that I see in my rich life, but I'm more focused on what does wealth mean to me? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's the ability to say yes when I want, say no when I need to, and hang out with people that I enjoy and and continue to travel. I love that because I think what you're basically saying is we're going towards what the definition for wealth wealth for you is the choice, the freedom of choice of doing what yeah, you want to do, ability. you want to do exactly. with whoever you want to do, and wherever in the world you want to do. You don't want to be tied exactly to a job, business, work. And I love how you've actually designed your life because I think, you know what, a lot of people have the desire that you have, but then they go into a brick and mortar franchise or a brick and mortar business, or they do a corporate job. And then while they want to move around and travel and have no real roots in one place, it comes into it, I now have a business that I can leave. What I love about the beauty of what you have developed and what you've designed is instead of figuring it out hey, until let me first make my million dollar, two million dollar, five million, everyone has a number. Well, let me make that and then I'll figure out what kind of life I want. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to look at it the other way. You know, I, I figured out the life when I was making no money at exactly. all. Exactly. And, and, and then I will say, just so that everyone understands, I do have the ability to do what I'm doing because I avoided lifestyle creep. And so... My ability to just, you know, sell everything and move abroad was probably easier. Doesn't mean it was any less brave, but it was a little bit easier because I hadn't experienced lifestyle creep. And so if there's any listeners that you have that haven't done the lifestyle creep yet, I urge you to really think about what can I wait to to upgrade or what lifestyle creep can I avoid for now? Not avoid forever. You guys, I am not. I'm not uh, selling frugality. That is not the campaign that I'm on. But I will say, not having lifestyle creep definitely lended itself into creating. I said it's a I very, have. very. It's a very important point, right? Because I think there is, uh, as I as I think about wealth and as I think about financial independence, financial freedom, these are all fancy words. They're all great words, but fancy words. But when you really break it down into and make it internalize it. It really depends upon the various level of these freedoms that we're talking about. The first freedom is, hey, will I have food on the table? Will I have a roof on my head? And will I be able to be clothed, right? The basic, basic human yeah. necessities. And will I be able to do that? That does not mean, can I take a $100,000 vacation if that's, what, if that's what people are into? All it means is, yeah. because what that gives you is, that gives the ability to drop everything at the top of a hat and saying, I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. And if your life allows it, great. And then then you go into different levels of financial freedom. Then you say that, hey, you know what? I want to do more than what I can imagine. Saying that I want to take out $100,000 vacation. Perfect. And then the third level, which is the ultimate freedom, is that now I want to help other people achieve their freedom. And if they need resources, I have it available to it's kind of like three, exactly, four, because one thing that I think is so important for people to realize is that like, there's nothing necessarily super special about me. I, I don't have some fancy degree and was making 
you know, a six figure salary right out of graduation. Neither of those things were true for me. The only thing that was true is that I had a really good idea of what I wanted in my life. And I didn't really make any excuses and I just went after it. And that's important because it's kind of like funny. I was having a, I was coaching one of my students earlier this morning and one of the questions we were talking about it is like, I bought too big of a house or I bought too expensive yeah. of a house and I want to reduce my expenses. I think we were talking about this. I want to bring it point, bring it back to the point you made earlier about the lifestyle creep. I think that's yeah. what lifestyle creep means that just because you have the ability to buy, I'll make up a number, $2 million house, just because the bank will approve you for a $2 million loan and you have the ability to sustain it, a lifestyle creep really happens when you are giving into your current impulses and you prioritize your current impulses than the ultimate life you want to live. Like for example, Sarah and I, I'm the same way. That say, you know what, for me, not working in a corporate job is way more important than living in a $10 million house. I can live without a $10 million house. But if I have to now be sort of a slave to somebody else saying, you can't go here, you can't go there, you have to be at work for this month, this amount of time, that's just not me anymore. I did that for 22 years. I was very happy doing it. But the moment I had the realization that I can't do it, the first thing I really controlled was control my creep. And at the creep, if you're at a point where, I know Sarah said that if, if you're listening to it and the creep hasn't happened, I'm going to actually talk to the, also the listeners where the creep has happened. Right? It's okay. There's nothing wrong. What I would encourage you to analyze now is, can you scale the creep down? Mm-hmm. If you had a Ferrari you bought out of an impulse, can you can you change <laughs> that decision? Right? Can you change that decision and say that yes. that's a or, creep I'm going to bring? Or instead of even, or if, instead of thinking about making less money, like okay, if that's if that Ferrari is important to you and that brings you joy, then let's make some more money. It, it's it's really a it's really about percentage, like how. How much of your income are you spending each month? And for a person, you know, making $700,000 a year, I mean, they can have a Ferrari. I don't I'd yeah. for them. Hopefully, pick me up on a date. I would love to ride a Ferrari. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. But again, I, if you have a 1996 Defender, I would like that even more. I think the point really is, regardless of your income and even output that you're spending, it's, are you really clear on what an ideal life looks like for you? Because I think, Socket, you and I, we love travel. But for some of your listeners, they're like, you know what? I don't really love traveling. Of course. Like, instead, I would love to, like, have the freedom to buy a, you know, $3,000 road bike and have four hours set aside every Saturday to ride my bike. That is an ideal life for some of your listeners. And so really what I think I want to urge everyone to do is just figure out what you want your life to look like. And do this. Do not should all over yourself. I see so many people, especially Americans, who are like, oh, I should keep this job, or I should climb the corporate ladder, or I should propose to my girlfriend. And stop shooting on yourself. Like, live the life that you really want to be living, not some life that you feel like you should be living. Correct. I love that. I'm so sorry. I'm recovering from a cough. So if the editing was not done and you start here listening to cough, it's because uh, I had an itch that I need to, need to scratch and I couldn't put, I can't get to the pause button soon enough. 
So I, I think I love that because I think most people are being reactive in their life. They want to say that, hey, I want to make my $5 million, let's say make a $5 million number. I want to make a $5 million. Then I'm going to take care of everything else in life. Then my life is going to be better. Then this, then this, then that. But I think what's more important is that lead with a vision. Lead with, I want to do this in my life, which is high priority. I want to make money around it, whatever that means. And it's very important for the immigrant listeners I know our show is focused on first and second generation immigrants, but we have since expanded our listener base. It's very important because when you, and Asara, you, you are living a life of an immigrant, so I think this would resonate with you, is that when you break away from your home country and you move somewhere else, especially when you're younger, you want to build a better life, right? Unfortunately, most of the immigrants have never answered what is a, what is a better life. By default, the proxy becomes I want to make more money. And then that's where the focus becomes but that may not necessarily be a better life for everyone. It could be a better life for some. And if it's for you, yeah. great. There's no arguments about it. But if it's not to you because now you're feeling like you're in a prison, that's really what I think Sarah is talking about as well is that don't be in a self-created prison because there's always a way around it. You, know, you can always break away from that. So Sarah, how did you break away from your, because you grew up in this country, the U.S., so you definitely had the similar upbringing than most of us, most of the Americans. I'd say. Oh yeah, you, you guys. I grew, I grew up in the suburbs of. I grew up in the suburbs of Kansas City. Mark. So you know, Bible Belt. You go to high school. You go to college. Right. You hopefully get engaged before you graduate. You know, get that MRS degree. Correct. And and you know, live a live a, a normal American life, uh, whatever that that may mean. And and I think. What I think is important is it wasn't some dramatic, you know, like breakup and then I sold everything and I did my eat, pray, love year around the world. It really wasn't like that. It was really small. It was, I got my first internship abroad in Europe. And so that was kind of like a baby step. It still fit the mold of what you're supposed to do after college, you know, get a good internship. And I got a great internship abroad in Europe. And, and then it just slowly turned into, huh, I don't think I'm ready to go back to the U.S. So I'm going to stay in Europe a little bit longer. And then, okay, I went back to the U.S. and I tried to make that work with the next job that I got. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really like this. So then I was like, okay, what can I do to move abroad again, but make money because I had student loans coming up? Yeah. So unlike a lot of my peers, I paid for college myself. And so I had a, a good amount of student debt. And I realized that I could teach English abroad. So I taught English as a second language in South Korea. And while you don't make a lot of money, you save a lot of money. And so I was I was stacking away at least $1,100 every month that I was there. Amazing. And when you compare that to my peers, they were like, wait, what? Like, no, I'm lucky to save like a couple hundred bucks. And then, you know, something happens with my car or this or I want a new purse. And then that savings is gone. And so I think that very first year in Korea really set me up financially because I saved over $15,000, which happened to be almost exactly what I owed in student debt. And so I cleared my student debt with, within a year of graduating. And that just really set me up for success. That's beautiful. Beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. I do want to ask you a question. How did you jump from Europe to U.S. to to Korea. How did that jump? I know it sounds wild, but it was more like, you know, you're asking peers, 
hey, do you know anyone that's taught English abroad? And, you know, somebody's cousin's brother taught in Thailand. Somebody else taught in the EU. Somebody else taught in Korea or Japan. And next thing I knew, I was just contacting recruiters and having interviews and talking to a lot of people. I, I have a journalism degree, so and I love to talk. So Good it's luck. really easy for me to gather information, especially, you know, quantitative interviews. And so I, sorry, qualitative interview. I wish I was better at numbers, but I just gathered a lot of information about where can I, where can I get a a job abroad? And then one thing leads to another. And then you just get really good at saying yes, even when you're scared. So now let's jump into, let's make the conversation forward to really how you built the passive. And in your case, it's not truly passive because you're actively managing it. No. So we'll break it down. Exactly. But let's first talk about how did you foray into real estate? What what triggered that while you were in Korea, while you were in US? Where did that bug come in your head? Hey, I want to buy something. Real estate. Cash producing. Yes. So I was probably an interesting college student. I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I had read Susie Orman's, I think it's called mm. like Broke to Fabulous or yeah. something. And, and Tim Ferriss four-hour work week. These are all the types of books that I was reading in college because I knew that I wanted to live life a little bit differently. And so probably through those books and then working at a Keller Williams brokerage is where I realized, okay, yes, I could sell real estate because I have the gift of gab. I, I like houses. I find this really interesting. I love meeting people. But what I recognized was that the wealthiest agent in the office was not a solo agent. He ran a team, you know, transferred from business owner, or sorry, from, you know, employee to self-employed to business owner because she owned a business because the agents below her were creating money for her. And then I realized that she also owned a pretty sizable real estate portfolio. And I was like, huh, okay. How can I skip being an agent altogether <laughs> and yeah. just jump straight to being a real estate investor? And so I realized that that takes a lot of money, which I did not have yet. And so I did the power of house hacking. So I was able to use lower down payments by moving into the property. And because I was already uh, what I like to call a dirty backpacker, it was really no big deal to just like pick up and move somewhere and get a bunch of roommates. And so I know that's probably not where your audience is. So I'm not encouraging, you know, families of five to just pick up and move and get roommates. But what I am encouraging people to do is find a way to have your homestead paid for. So I'll use an example. There's a husband and wife, Katie and Mike. They have two kids, one on the way. They live in Phoenix, Arizona, so a high cost area. And they have what would have been a pool house that they converted into a office and a one-bedroom apartment. And they now rent that out to a a gentleman who's there for work for three or six months, and their entire mortgage is paid for. Paid for. By renting out that space. It's completely separate. You know, that's not a roommate. The, The gentleman living back there has access to the property without disturbing you know, Mike and Katie and their three, soon to be three kids, and they have their mortgage completely paid for. And so house hacking does not have to mean roommates, which I later learned, but that is exactly how I got started. So I bought a property, got a bunch of roommates. Two years later, I bought another property, 
lived in the upstairs unit with a roommate and then had the downstairs tenant. And that downstairs tenant paid my mortgage in full, plus about $100. So me being able to sacrifice and have a roommate, I didn't want to have a roommate, you guys. I think I was almost 30 at the time. I didn't want a roommate, but I charged that roommate $600. And that was just pure profit, cash in hand. And then I spent about nine months of that year backpacking South America. <laughs> and wow. so there's it it wasn't that big of a sacrifice to quote unquote have a roommate. <laughs> because you're you're out anyways. Because, yeah. Because I was I was never there. And so I just found a way to get into the game when I didn't have very much capital. Now my investing looks very different, but that's how I got started. And it's important, Sarah. So I think it's important. Let's, let's reflect back on that a little bit, right? Because I think a lot of people, including myself, when I got started, is the we have the disease of excuses where, you know what, now is not the right time. I have like in your, in your in the example that you said is a lot of people would say we got a lot going on in our life because we got a child coming up. Let's not worry about figuring this out. We'll do that when the child's a little bit grown up. Then it's going to yeah. be, hey, you know what? Now we have to worry about our schooling. Now we worry about this. Now the kids are too young, too old. Now it's about their security, about their safety, about strangers. There's always going to be an excuse of why you should not do something, especially if it's out of your comfort zone. So what I loved about your story, Sarah, there was you really focused on not why you shouldn't do it because you could have found a thousand reasons. You are in mid-20s, young woman. They're like, I don't want to live with strangers. It's scary. It's this, it's that, it's that, it's that. And the list of excuses and some valid, some not so valid excuses are there. But instead, the way you approached it is, how can I make it happen in a way that I'm comfortable with it. And let's go explore that option. That option led to something else. Because I always tell people is that it's like your, it's like your first million dollar. Your first investment is your first million dollar. The first investment and the first million dollar is the hardest to make. Because you have a mental barrier. You have a mental block. You're not ready yet. Like I can't do house hacking or I can't invest outside outside of my hometown. Or it's for rich people. It's for this. It's for that. Whatever. You make up an excuse. And then you stick with it. So the first investment may not make you a lot of money, but it's like a college degree where you want to get it as soon as possible so you can start jumping into the next step. You won't won't make the next step until you take the first step. And that's an important piece. Absolutely. So Sarah, tell us now. And I want everyone to know. And I want everyone to know. I I was scared the whole time. Like at no point was I walking around like, oh yeah, you know, just went under contract on my next investment property. Like everything I do is scary. Now I will say I can, I can get on a plane and not really think about it. I'll, I'll admit that now. But at the beginning, like you, you guys, I moved to a country where I wasn't sure if they would speak English, if I would fit in, if I would make friends, if I would be lonely and miserable. And, you know, I had no idea what life was going to be like. And I did it anyway. And I think that that experience of like what I call functioning in the fear lent itself really well to real estate investing. So I'm still scared when I, you know, pitch air, uh, private money or do a burr or an out of state renovation, yeah. doing an out of state renovation right now. Of course, I'm scared that I'm going to get ripped off or that my contractor is not doing a good job. But what's the alternative? that I just don't do it at all? 
or that I give up my lifestyle and I move to Omaha, Nebraska and like monitor a renovation. You know, I mean, that sounds terrible. So doing a long distance renovation is really the only option if I want to continue to move my portfolio forward. Completely agree. It's kind of like funny. You remind me of a friend of mine. The story of yours remind me of a friend of mine who's been talking about investing. He's in DC. He's like, I want to invest. I want to invest. I want to invest. I'm like, I have properties in Kansas City. I have properties in Indiana. Let's find you one. They're like, it's too far. I'm not going to go there. Like, I don't go there. I've not even seen my properties. He's like, no, no, I'm not ready there yet. I'm like, you're not even ready to look at it? He's like, nope, I'm not ready to look at it. I'm like, why not? He's like, because I need to touch my property. I need to feel my property. I need to see my property. I'm like, we can just make a trip. We can go touch, feel, and look and everything and get comfortable. And then let's go start investing. He's not. This was five years ago. And he's still thinking he wants to invest outside. And he has not made that first step. Right. Uh, my friend, yeah. if you're listening to it, you know who I'm talking about. But it's it's really <laughs> more on that. It's because I like what you said, functioning in fear, not being paralyzed in fear. Most yeah. most people, if they're not comfortable with fear, feeling of fear, they get it. They treat it as I'm not willing to take a risk. It's really not risk. Yeah. When you get comfortable with fear, you come get comfortable with the feeling, and then you figure out how to mitigate the risk. But if your first thing was, I don't want, I want a zero risk. Well, as a child, when you started walking, you fell down. We all fell down. But what did we say? We're not going to do it because it's risky because my bum may get hurt. No child stops there. But as an adult, we we put those mental limitations on ourselves, constraints on ourselves, which inhibits from our own growth. What are your thoughts on that, Sarah? I think that people confuse. So fear is like a biological reaction to keep us safe. So, it, I mean, from the old times where we needed to go out and hunt our food, like fear kept some of us alive. And that's why some of us are here today, because our ancestor didn't get eaten by, you know, by these animals or, or they caught the animals so that they didn't die of starvation. So, so fear is something that used to keep us safe. And, and the same thing, like as a female that travels the world by herself, I unfortunately have been in bad situations both in the U.S. and abroad. And almost every story starts with, I had a bad feeling then, or the hair on the back of my neck stood up and then, you know, or, you know, whatever it is. So fear is there to keep us safe. But I think people get confused between that feeling that is keeping you safe and that feeling that is holding you back. And so I was terrified to do my first long distance renovation in a town I had never even visited, let alone been, you know, and and now here I am using private money and hard money to do the Burr strategy. So I was buying it, renovating it, renting it out, and then hoping to refinance it to recoup my capital. So everything about this was risky. There's no question about it. Nothing about this was, and I did it anyway, because I saw the numbers. And I mentioned earlier, I made a joke about not being good at numbers. Here's the thing, you guys. I have a journalism degree and an international studies degree. And while I was good at math, I, I'm a straight A student. I didn't like math. But you know what I like? I like money. So I learned to get really good at simple math. And so I ran that Burr property backwards and forwards. Worst case scenario, this. Worst case scenario, that. I had a backup plan for my backup plan for my backup plan. And that is how I slept at night. And don't get me wrong. I, I woke up panicking sometimes and there were lots of tears but I did it anyway and I'm so proud to say 
that it was a near perfect burr. I now cash flow about $1,200 a month and I left about $9,000 in the deal and it's worth $525,000. That's amazing. That's amazing, Sarah. And, and kudos to so you imagine, for sticking through it. Thank you. Thank you. So imagine if I had just listened to my fear. I'd have $1,200 less of cash flow and almost half a million dollars less of property value, which it is mortgaged. So we're looking at probably, let's call it $80,000 of equity. Yeah. But at 33, I mean, that's life-changing money, you guys. Correct. No, I, I think it, that's life-changing money at any stage because what it, what it gives you yeah. is that I, I, was t- I was telling my, my friends, having a conversation on coffee this morning, talking about the same thing. Sometimes, and not everything is just about money because it's the experience mm-hmm. that you learned in that deal of uh, that it's possible that that gave you the confidence of continuing to push forward. You're not going to stop, right? Now, you're going to be more yes. diligent because now you know more than what you knew before, but the validation has already happened. Success has already happened. You're like, okay, this is working. This will work. Let me now figure out how to either scale it or do it better. Yes. And turn that $1,200 next time into $2,000 and the $9,000 in the deal to $4,000, right? Because now yes. you're going to start to make that math work. And to be honest, I think I love your top, your discussion about math. A lot of people tell me that I'm not comfortable with math on the finances. It's plus and minus. It's not even multiplication most of the time. It's really plus <laughs> and minus. There's no division, yeah. right? I or, think all of or, us can do that. Just like, but but to, give, to give your audience grace, I mean, it is scary when you're crunching numbers for the first time and there's so many what ifs. And cool. so what I urge you guys to do is pair up with someone. Say, hey, like I can I pay you for your time? Or hey, what can I help you with? And would you be willing to look at this deal for me? I think the like going back to old times, that bartering like was successful for a reason. And so who in your life can you trade services or trade time or trade value with so that you have a buddy to analyze deals with? Because that's how I started. Like it wasn't just one day I woke up and knew how to analyze cash on cash return. I asked for help and I paid for help. I joined a mastermind. I had a mentor that I paid for their time. And that was like taking the elevator to the penthouse. And that's important, Sarah, because I think it's a lot of us are not used to investing in ourselves. Yes. I think the most amount of investment we have done in ourselves is going getting a college degree. Which who um, knows that, that was a good done. idea. And who knows? I mean, I think there's, there's a huge, we can do a, another podcast if that was a good idea or not. I won't, no, let, let, yeah, pretend I didn't say that. Let's yeah, no, no, I, I'm with you though, right? Because uh, I have small kids. I have an eight and 10 year old. And this is a, this is pretty much a daily conversation in a household. Like where do we, what do we want to provide them to make sure that they are successful in, in the way they want to be, right? It's kind of like the going back to the same thing. The first, let your life's vision drive you. But we digress. We'll come yeah. back. Uh, it's important <laughs> to invest in yourself the $100, the $500, the $5,000, the $10,000, $20,000, whatever you are paying this person, this individual to teach you something. Of course, find the right person for you. Make sure you're doing yeah. your own due diligence. That person knows what they're talking about and they're actively doing it as a business rather than building it as a coaching career and they're not actively investing. Yeah. All of that good stuff. And we can have another podcast for that as well. I have horror stories. I'm sure you have horror stories of making those, picking those wrong mentors per se. 
But once you find that person and you're investing in, look at that as a college degree, right? Look at that as an investment in yourself that you're learning in a formal structure to push forward and move forward in life to make that thing that will never have happened otherwise. So I love that. And thank you for bringing that up. Sir, I also want to be respectful of your time. So I want to jump to the next part of that conversation here is if somebody were to, in that situation where they got inspired by our conversation here, more mainly by your stories, what's the first thing they should do? Yeah, reach out to me. You can message me on Instagram. It's Sarah D. Weaver. Or if you want more information about my companies and how I can help, my website is SarahDWeaver.com. Perfect. And Sarah, I know you also run coaching programs. You you mentor people. And you have retreats. Tell us a little bit about that side of the business. Yeah. So what's really fun is because I travel so often, I get asked all the time for you know travel tips and where should I go? And what I realize from not only my travels, but also attending a lot of conferences is that people are craving community and connection. And especially once you raise your hand and say, hey, I want to pursue financial independence through real estate investing you probably become a little bit weird amongst your peers. Like this is not normal, even though it's normal now for you and I, it's not normal when you first get started. And so I have created two solutions to that issue of how do I get connected with a community? How do I find people that will help me analyze deals? And so the first way that you can join my community or create your own community, I should say, is join my mentorship program. And it's not a typical mastermind. It really is a mentorship. So I am here to be your mentor. I'm going to know your name. I'm going to help you not only know your goals, but even craft your goals and then, of course, your goals. And so the mentorship program is a six-month or 12-month long program. And we meet more or less every Tuesday evening via Zoom. And I'm walking people through a framework of how I've built my out-of-state portfolio. Because as you guys have heard, I was buying my properties long distance. Often I was living outside the US. So if you're listening and you live in DC or Austin or California, and that's too expensive to cash flow, well, I'll teach you how to invest in in markets that do. So maybe I'll convince you to buy a property in Ohio or you know Iowa and so that you can create cash flow in your life. So that community. Then what I found is that people really wanted to travel. And so I'm so excited to tell people about Invested Adventures. It is my solution to this issue of not feeling connected with either yourself or other investors. And so I take anywhere between 12 and 15 real estate investors on adventure all over the world. And when I say adventure, I'm talking big adventure. So in February, we're cruising down to Antarctica where wow. we'll see penguins and whales. You'll get an opportunity to go scuba diving in Antarctica, Amazing. which that either sounds like brilliant or terrible. I haven't decided. And and the whole time you're with entrepreneurs and real estate investors. So not only is the entire trip a tax write-off, so if you guys are doing your taxes and realizing, hey, I need an expense for 2023, this is a great way to create a business expense but then also a great way to create connections with other real estate investors. Love that, Sarah. And and I would encourage people to take a look at that. Sarah, I know you also have an offer for our listeners. I do. So I know that sometimes both of those things feel like a really big commitment, especially if you are hearing me for the first time. And so if you're like, hey, I really would like for this girl, Sarah, to teach me how to 
pick a market or analyze a deal or just tell me what to do. Because sometimes as adults, we just want someone to tell us what to do. Book a one-on-one call with me. It's a 45-minute call. You have my full attention. I will help you craft your strategy. I give you access to my Rolodex, the tools that I use, including my free deal analysis calculator. And normally that is $249. And I would love to offer it to your guests for $50 off. Awesome. Well, thank you for the generosity there, Sarah. And again, our goal on this show is to start remote friction for our listeners. And I don't know, if we cannot get to Sarah for $200, to ask yourself a question, do you really want to be an investor? Because you have to put some money down somewhere. You have to invest in your degree. And it's, we're not talking about $5,000 commitments. We're talking about a very low ticket item, which could help you understand, at least establish a goal or give you some frameworks, give you some tools, give you some contacts that you can go take. You don't have to work with Tell. You don't have to work with Socket. You, but you need to use their resources. And those resources come at a cost because Sarah has spent her life building those resources. So it's, it's only justified that she charges a little bit of money. She's not charging $10,000. She's charging $199. So I encourage you to at least explore that. Uh, well, Sarah, thank you again for being on our show. We're hitting the last part of the segment, which is going to be very quick. One is, if you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, what's one insight you'll give to that 20-year-old self? I think the advice might surprise people. I would actually tell her to chill out a little bit. I, uh, it might sound to your listeners like I'm wild and I travel all over the world, but the reality was I was, I was wound really tight and I was really worried about money. And if I could go back, I would just hug her and tell her, like, it's going to turn out so much better than you could have ever imagined. Yeah. And the next question, Sarah, is take your worldly perspective is going to help us uh, get a perspective from, from you on this. Where is, what is your wish and desire for the humanity to migrate toward in the next few decades? Yeah, I hope that more people give themselves permission to define what wealth means to them and then pursue it unapologetically. So if there's a listener here that has an idea and and wants to start a new business, but they're feeling pressure from their parents to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it might be, there's nothing wrong with those professions. But if it's not filling your heart with joy or worse, actually making you miserable, then I hope that people give themselves permission to pursue what they want in life. Love that, Sarah. Great great session. Thank you for all the insights. Thank you for your generous offer and your time uh, with our audience. I got a lot of value out of it. I'm sure my listeners did too. Thank you again for taking the time. Thank you. My great to Wealth listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801 801- 312-9482, or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. 
That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.